I just want people to be able to have an opportunity to see themselves because when I got the opportunity to see myself as I, not as an idea, but as an existence, it changed everything about my will to live. And it, it made me feel like whole and calm. There's really no insult that can like dent me at this point because I feel very complete in a lot of ways in knowing who I am. So my goal is just to help people see themselves as themselves and to acquire that feeling of completion. You are listening to Made of Human, also known as the Mopad, a podcast hosted by Sophie Hagen, who is a Danish comedian. Mopad. Trying to find out Mopad. how to do life. Mopad. But it turns out Mopad. nobody knows. Mopad. Welcome to Made of Human. I'm Sophie Hagen, your host. I am sitting in my kitchen. My dog Hank is noisily eating his kibble breakfast and, you know, every once in a while he's licking my hands under the table. Oh, and the washing machine is very violently cleaning my clothes. It's load three of seven. It's one of those days. I'm quite happy, both because I actually showered this morning for a change and I'm wearing this awesome shirt with pink dots that I absolutely love. But I'm also happy because I get to bring Rain Dove into your ears very soon. Rain Dove is a gender non-conforming model, activist, entertainer, actor, and producer. I mean, there's nothing that this beautiful person can't and doesn't do. This conversation was recorded in the beginning of December, but at the end of 2020. As, unfortunately, always... My dog Hank had decided to play energetically in the background throughout this in true COVID-19 working from home fashion. At the time of recording this episode, the world feels slightly hopeful. Trump lost the election and they're starting to give out the first vaccines against the virus. It's cold and dark outside, but it's nearing the end of 2020, which has a strange feeling of symbolism to it. I think a lot of us subconsciously or consciously feel like like we'll wake up on January 1st 2021 and everything will just be perfect I mean at the time of this recording I choose to believe that fully because that's the only way we'll get through this winter Rain and I talked for so long that this has ended up as a two-parter you will get part two next week but as for part one Please enjoy my conversation with the amazing Rain Dove. You are meeting me in the now and now and another now and now and now and now. Um, and I happen to be in a really exciting place in my life. Um, I'm, I've had a really interesting year um, where I've had to um, have some really humbling experiences and I've done a lot of uh, charity work and I've done a lot of um, reassessing what my purpose is on the planet. Um, and now that the year's coming to an end, I've, I'm coming into a new kind of era of understanding of what I'm supposed to do and um, how I'm supposed to do it. And um, I am coming off from a week of doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, feeling very fulfilled. Um, and I'm just, I'm so ready 
for the next now. That's amazing. And where are you sitting? Where's that? I see a painting on the wall. Uh, yes. Otherwise, it's all very... I was sitting at my desk, but then the computer was like, I don't have any battery left. So I was like, okay, I have to go like get some battery for this computer. So now I'm in an armchair. Um, you know, it's got a good situation going on. There's a, you know, blank wall behind us. Um, I almost chose the queer wall over here. Oh, huge flags. Oh, hello. <laughs> Um, and this mirror is from a production that we just barely finished shooting. Um, and uh, I ended up burning it myself using a lot of different like home flammable liquids and a spray bottle of um, like hairspray. And I'm really proud of it. It's Are you crafty? Are you a crafty person? I am, but I don't craft as much as I probably should, mostly because I don't like... Um, I don't like buying new things very often. And in order to craft, you don't necessarily buy new things, but you have to buy things to make things. And I'm not really that. I like to allocate my resources in different ways. <laughs> so did you find, you said you found out what your purpose is. That's quite a big thing to have learned. So what, what is your purpose in this, in this world? Well, I, you know, I'm, I think I'm a classic by societal standards millennial in the sense that um, we are a generation um, that really is kicking off every generation coming up next in, as like many people do multiple things in order to sustain themselves at many jobs or many passions. Um, and I, I think I, I, I never knew that I was going to have a lot of visibility. And then when I got visibility, I didn't really feel like I deserved it. And I wasn't. I wasn't always great. And, you know, I, I had to, um, I had to learn some pretty hard lessons. And uh, now I'm, I, I, I really sat back and uh, I was having a lot of guilt complex over exposure, feeling like guilty for having um, a voice or visibility. And um, whenever I got brand deals, like I really felt guilty about that. And as a model, that's really problematic because <laughs> you got to sell things and know that's your job, you know, to sell things. Um, but now, uh, this year I've realized that, um, first of all, I figured out that what money is and money isn't really what we've been told that it is. It's really just a moving, flowing, breathing, um, tradable thing. That's just a means to an end, but it's not something to be scared of. Um, and, uh, I learned that basically my purpose is to listen. It's to um, share this uh, visibility with as many people as possible so that they can become visible. It's to drop any capitalistic aspects of competition. Um, and it's to make art um, that makes people's lives better. Um, so I've been making a lot of uh, films and projects and just casting people who don't get a chance. Um, and I don't really care if the projects make money. I don't care if they get, ever get picked up by a Netflix or another platform. I don't really give a, I don't know if I can swear on this, but you I don't can really absolutely swear. Okay. I don't really give a fuck about that. Um, I just want people to be able to have an opportunity to see themselves because when I got the opportunity to see myself as I, not as an idea, but as an existence, um, it changed everything about my will to live. And it, it made me feel like whole and calm um, and nothing. There's really no insult that can like dent me at this point because I feel very complete in a lot of ways. Um, 
in, in knowing who I am. So my goal is just to help people um, see themselves as themselves and to acquire that feeling of um, completion. If we go back to the guilt, where does that come from? Well, um, I think because I was homeless for so long, I really, um, and I grew up in a really impoverished part of the world, um, you know, in a rural farming community. Um, I always kind of demonized people who had luxury lifestyles or who sold things that like no one else could afford or who thought that they were so great. And um, in this, in, in the modeling industry, which is not an industry I originally had wanted to get into, it just happened. Um, I felt like I was, I was doing important work and that's why I was doing it. But also, um, I know growing up, I would be annoyed with people, um, you know, (laughs) like selling me stuff. So, um, and also like I worked, I did a lot of manual labor, really hard stuff, you know, especially on Craigslist jobs and working with, um, you know, uh, the Vermont, uh, youth conservation corps doing really hard work. So it would take me like a month to make a thousand dollars. And now I can make it in like one post on Instagram, like, you know, and it's so easy to do that. I feel really privileged and guilty. And then I also, um, the more exposed I got, the more exposed I got to other people's struggles and they were reaching out and they're struggling and I can't help everybody. Um, I don't have the ability to give like even if I gave away every penny that I had, I, I couldn't save everyone. Um, and on top of that, I can't give everybody a, a platform, even though I really try because I get hundreds of messages a day. And so I think I just felt really guilty about who I missed, um, who I'm not helping. I don't know who's the most important um, group of people to help the most important individuals to help. You know, I get really, wrapped up in things like, uh, I, I would get really wrapped. I, I'm not so much anymore because I've kind of figured out a system, but, um, it was really tough. Like even like black lives matter, like it was a really important, it is a very important movement and I'm very happy and honored to support in the ways that I can, I can show up, um, and be a, of an assistance at the same time as black lives matter. I also had a lot of people in other countries who were experiencing other obstacles Um, and it, and those obstacles were very serious and life-threatening as well. And during that month, um, you know, like just to give you an insight into like what it is, it's like, um, essentially Black Lives Matter became a global movement, which was really important and it was doing important things and it is doing important things. It's still current, obviously. Um, but during that month, I had a lot of people who have different opinions on what my purpose was as a, as a person with a platform Um, And I felt incredibly guilty because um, a lot of Black Lives Matter leaders um, who I I met with were telling me, don't post anything other than Black Lives Matter. We really need a focused lens on this. But then I had other people who are like in Colombia, Venezuela. I had people reaching out um, about like um, the about like um, some atrocious things happening in their countries um, who are like, why aren't you talking about this? You're a selfish, one-sided person. You need to use your platform. And um, I was, I just didn't know who was right. And I, I felt like I couldn't be good enough for everyone. I could, felt like it couldn't be the right ally that people needed. And um, it's an incredible gift to be seen, to be needed. 
or wanted or in any way to feel like, uh, you know, for people to see you as a potential, um, a potential useful element in their life. Like that's a gift. But the difficult thing is, is um, I had to come to terms with the fact that I couldn't give everyone what they want, even though I desperately wanted to, because everyone has very different needs and they have different ideas of how those needs have to be met. So um, instead I had to develop my own system and it kind of reminds me of like the scene of um, Bruce and Bruce almighty, where he's like, he realizes he can't just say yes to everyone's prayers. So he does yes to as many as he possibly can. And then he (laughs) unplugs the computer. Um, I've had to be like, okay, in order for me to be the most effective, it's better to really advocate for at least just like one cause per day. But if you put like 50 or 60 People don't can't concentrate their efforts, their funds, their their time, um, and it's it's. I think I had a lot of guilt over that. I had a lot of guilt, like somebody out there is disappointed in me because I'm not I'm not doing right by them. Um, I'm letting them down, you know. So if if you so having been homeless, and I've I've read a bit about how you were also bullied a lot as uh, when you were young if your reaction to that now had been to say, well, fuck all of you, mm-hmm. I am going to make a lot of money and you can all go fuck yourselves. That would be understandable. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, if you've, when you've experienced so much, um, you know, negative things of people having not been ideal, that would be a natural reaction. So why do you think you've sort of gone the opposite way? I feel like I'm leaving a lot of people behind. I think um, I don't have this mentality anymore, but I do have this thing where whenever I get money, I give it away to our community. Like immediately, I'm just like, I'm going to, I realize the hard way you can't just give people money. And I also realize the hard way that a lot of charities are really just advertising agencies in disguise. They're not doing very much with the money that you're donating. So the best way for me to give back to the community is to give opportunity and give space and, um, you know, uh, physically hand people the money in in hand so like for instance like justice for black lives like instead of um you know donating to just a random charity going to an actual person who's an activist on the ground and saying here's this money take it go like buy gas with the, you know, like the simple basic things and the same thing with like um you know creating films and stuff like that i'm like i'm gonna make um i'm gonna i'm gonna just make a project just to make a project it doesn't matter if it goes anywhere but it's it's about like giving people um giving giving people like a chance for them to discover themselves in kind of like the the same way and giving people some sense of autonomy but i don't really um i don't know i've never really been a vengeful person in that way i think part of it is that like um i i really wasn't always like i i've been a really chaotic person in my life um and so i just don't really feel like, um, I, I think, I think I just kind of feel a little bit like, I don't know, like, uh, I, I don't, I'm in a very different space mentally now, but like, for, there were a lot of years where I just kind of felt like, because I had to do a lot of crazy, or I didn't have to, I chose to do a lot of crazy things in order to survive. I felt like I didn't have a right to, um, a lot of the benefits that came in my life from being exposed and things like that, you know, um, and also, I really do believe that like capitalism is a problem, um, and so I think that um, I think I have a really difficult. I like I just don't really um, 
I want everyone to to eat and and I want everyone to have a, a roof over their head. And every day I get all these messages, you know, people who are really suffering and experiencing um, forms of oppression. And and I understand very deeply, like when people tell me that they're hungry or that they're scared or they're getting kicked out because I've had those experiences. So I feel like I'm, I've never really had the mentality of like, well, I got mine. See y'all. It's more like I read pe- these messages and I'm like, I have this deep connection to that. I have a deep empathy to it. And I'm like, I cannot be happy until these people are happy. I cannot rest until these people can rest. Like just cause I got mine doesn't mean that I've like done anything worthwhile, <laughs> you know? Well, I, it's less a question of revenge and more a question of sort of where, where did the trauma go? You know what I mean? Where did the, is that what it's being channeled out through now? Is that like the, when you say I can't rest until they rest, is that a, I mean, it's obviously like a nice thing. Obviously it's just a good thing as well, but is part of it a way of sort of saving yourself. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, it- yeah. It's totally a reflection mirror of like, uh, heal myself by healing other people that, that kind of mentality. I think, um, the, I think, um, that the trauma is the guilt complex of feeling like, you know, um, every person who's a reflection of a person that I've been, I can't ignore them because I've been ignored and I know what that is. And it's really scary. And so I can never do that to another person. I'm going to hold myself to that standard. But then when you have half a million people um, supporting your social media, it's hard because you do have to, it's not that you're, you have to ignore them, but I have to go to bed at some point. I literally, I have to like, be like, okay, it's midnight. I gotta go to sleep. Um, But I go to sleep knowing I haven't answered all the messages. I haven't I haven't, been present for all the people um so you have to really compartmentalize and give yourself permission to breathe and and forgive yourself and say i'm doing the best i can do with what i have and it's enough you know what's your what's your relationship like with boundaries because it feels like that's that's a big topic here isn't it in terms of being able to say this and then not more than that uh how what well what was your relationship with boundaries growing up i mean growing up i had a pretty clear sense of like um boundaries people you just you know my parents always taught me under promise over deliver but when i uh went into my young adult life i was so afraid because love and acceptance and like any kind of person in my life who um who came in um that love and and not uh, and in allowing space for me not to be alone, that was a resource for me. And so I wouldn't always have like the best ability of putting up boundaries. I would really kind of contort and conform myself in order to be able to um, be like not left alone. Like, like basically like um, I, like if somebody asked me to go out on a date, even if I wasn't interested in them, I would go out on the date. On, and on, and I ended up in some relationships, like romantic relationships, which I had no feelings for the other person, but I didn't want to hurt them or make them feel like discarded, you know, the way that I had felt. So I would like end up in these relationships and I had cheat on them and, um, you know, and then I just kind of like let things play their course <laughs> and, and kind of go through the gambit on that. But it really came from like a place of not wanting to be abandoned, not wanting people to feel unworthy of my love or my time. Um, and, you know, uh, later on, um, I had to develop boundaries because I hit some pretty hard rock bottoms and ocean floors. 
um, eventually it just, um, it, it wasn't worth it to continue to conform and contour and, and to, frankly, to lie, you know, to lie to myself and to lie to the people around me. So, um, yeah, I, I, now I, I think I have pretty good boundaries. I, I, I'm pretty good at telling people this isn't working. This is working. I like this or I don't like this. And occasionally I do have like anxiety if I do have to tell someone who's like a, pivotal point in my life or if I know that they're in an emotionally fragile space, I have a hard time rejecting people sometimes. Um, and I'll like freak out. Like, I, I mean, I have like whole, I'll cry in my room and be like, Oh gosh, I've got to like, like my, if my agent has submitted me for something and I don't really like that job, sometimes I have a hard time even just being like, look, um, I know that you're doing the best you can, but I would never work for this brand. And, and you know that. And like, please don't <laughs> like, cause I'm like, Oh my gosh, if I tell them, no, they're going to abandon me forever and they're going to leave and, and Oh, they're going to feel like they're such a bad person for submitting me for something I didn't like, you know? Um, but I've, I found out that di- the difficult way that honesty is the best policy. Um, and it allows people to do um, better by you and by the world and being honest with people allows people to be free. Um, and the best love is love that's chosen and people can't choose it if they don't know what their options are um, by telling people who you are and where you stand. if they still choose you regardless of what you've told them, that is sacred and it's amazing. And it's, it's much sweeter than, um, you know, having to live a lie. When it, it reminds me a bit of when I, whenever I speak to my therapist and she'll say something along the same lines. And I always say to her, yeah, I know you're right, but I'm, it's very hard and I don't know if I can feel it and do it. Like how, cause you're, of course you're right. How, how much can you live like that? Do you know what I mean? Cause it sounds like almost like a superhuman ability you'd have to have in order to, you know, just have this completely healthy relationship with relations and self mm. Do you know what I, mean? I don't know. I've been doing really well with it. Like I, I just accept it. And I, t- and I tell people that like, um, like if I know I'm going to tell somebody something or set a boundary that I know I'll make them uncomfortable, I don't tell them how to feel and I don't give them a time limit and I let them have their space and I've learned to compartmentalize and let go. Um, and I really cherish the people that come back, you know, um, I've actually went through a huge thinning out of my friends over the past like year and a half because I realized a lot of people weren't friends. They were acquaintances and they were acquaintances because it was opportunistic, um, you know, and that was really tough to admit that like this was a one-sided relationship. Um, and I lost a lot of people that I'd invested a lot of time into and space. And I really thought, I really thought that they were, you know, they, I really thought that they were going to be, uh, that they loved me, you know, uh, and it turns out they just, um, they love the idea of me and they love what I brought into their life. Um, I sat down and, and just kind of had to be like, okay, let's flush through this. Um, <clears throat> but this year I've had some of the most incredible people in my life, um, because they're, they are family. They know me. I know them. I can set boundaries um, we give each other permission to disappoint each other. We give each other permission to, um, you know, to falter. Um, we give each other permission to hold each other accountable and to say the hard things. 
And it doesn't always feel great, but we have like a system where it's like, okay, um, look, I know, like I had a friend the other day who I, I basically found out that I, I thought I had lost my literary agent because I haven't, I was supposed to write a book a year ago and I didn't, <laughs> right? So <laughs> classic COVID. Um, <laughs> and uh, I found out that I did have a literary agent and I told, and uh, that they were like, yeah, we still want the book, like just get to work on it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is a huge opportunity. They're an amazing literary agent. And I told my friends, can you hold me accountable to write at least like three pages every week? That would be cool. And um, my friends did hold me accountable. They kept poking me, but I didn't respond. (laughs) And so I had a friend sit me down and just say, look, if you want to hold us accountable, if you want us to hold you accountable, then you need to be accountable or we're not going to hold you because we're wasting our time. And I was like, ah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. But it was the hard thing and it needed to be said. And, um, now it's just a, it's just a choice to, it's just a choice I have to make. I have to say, okay, I'm either going to be better or I just need to tell people like, Hey, I thought I was in the space that I could do this and I'm not, you know, um, I've learned to get very specific about what I need when I need it. Um, and, uh, communicate that it's not very easy to do, but, um, it's made, I don't know, just, it's nice. And it's, it's nice that I can have a safe space to tell me like, Hey, you're falling behind kid. <laughs> We're here. We're waiting for you at the finish line, but you're falling behind. Come on, move. You said that these people who uh, were opportunistic, you said that they, what they loved was the idea of you. And you also said that things changed a lot for you when you realized that you were an existence instead of an idea. Mm-hmm. Do they, is that the same thing? Do they, did that happen at the same time? Like, did they also like the idea of you at the same time as you thought of yourself um, as an idea? Well, I think um, I had that realization that like I'm in existence and not an idea like a couple of years ago. And that's when I really started identifying as just like, I am I, that's about as specific as I can get. Um, but with the friends, um, you know, um, I'll just like put it out there because it like it's it's already out there and everything. But when I first got into this industry, I was one of very like three people in the world who did what I did. And I got into this industry um and within like a year of being there, like Andrea Pejic got dropped from her agency for coming out as trans and like there was a huge war on the LGBTQ community and modeling and things like that. And um, I found myself at like the forefront of that war just by accident. I just happened to at the right time, walked in, just happened to have the right measurements and the right whatever to be competitive in this industry. And <clears throat> one of the um, one of the things that happened is like, you know, as we're very poor. We're very poor people. Like when I first started off, I like um, was couch hopping and I was like super homeless. And then I was, you know, dating people just to have a place to stay. And then I lived in like this warehouse space um, with some folks and we all like, uh, you know, we all like believed in like uh, fake it till you make it. You know what I mean? Like you just gotta like, we, we would be so broke, but we'd show up at these red carpet events and be like, Oh yes, more champagne for me, darling. Like, you know, and we had this whole thing, but one of the most difficult things is that people thought I was crazy because I wanted to model both men's and women's wear. And I had a lot of questioning of my intelligence and things like that. I went to college. I went to, uh, Berkeley city college, which is a community college. And I, I went to, um, University of Berkeley, um, uh, and uh, 
the thing is I never graduated, right? So I never got a degree, but um, I like, so it was assumed that because I had it on my resume um, that I had attended those schools that I had also graduated with a degree and I hadn't. Um, when I was asked about it, I was like, Oh yes, totally. I am. I am a graduate of the University of California, Berkeley. Very intelligent, darling. Um, because I felt like it was a, like you know, it, it made people feel that I was intelligent enough to at least know who I was identity-wise. So um, people were less likely to question my sexuality, and in fact, people went to me, um, you know, in the press and over that for an expert opinion on sexuality during a time when we were really getting demonized, uh, you know, gay marriage and everything was still like a big deal. Like, um, and, but the truth is I hadn't graduated. Right. Um, and I think, uh, so last December, basically what happened was one person wrote an article, um, revealing that I had lied about having a degree. Um, and also I was a wildfire prevention, um, individual in a conservation corps in Colorado. Um, and basically, uh, what ended up happening was, um, a lot of press, they use the term firefighter, not wildfire prevention officer, wildfire prevention officer. All I do is I run around with a group of people and we cut down, um, dead trees and stuff like that. And we remove them or we do controlled burns in order to prevent, like lessen the possibility of a wildfire fire, like a wildfire. Um, but because I never corrected people's semantics between wildfire fighter and wildfire prevention officer, some people really were really upset about that. And so there was an article that came out basically labeling me as a liar and a con artist and, and all these things. And um, my ex at the time, who is a really well-known and well-respected um, actress and, and, and uh, activist in the world was like, this person is absolutely horrible. Like she jumped on the pile and um, LGBTQ nation like wrote an article disowning me. And I never got a chance. No one ever asked me like how, why, um, but really like there's no excuse for like not correcting folks um, at the time, the context that you're saying, putting things in the context, um, the context was that, you know, it seemed like a very innocent thing to do to be like, I, yes, because I, I did go to these schools. I just didn't graduate. But I was like, I am intelligent. I know who I am. Like, look, I'm smart. Um, and as far as not correcting people using the wrong semantics, um, you know, uh, that just I, at the time, I'd never had exposure. There's thousands of articles written every year, like things go out and it's really tough. Like if I wrote to like board Panda and I was like, Hey, you missed something in this article. I don't know if people realize how many articles don't get all the details right. And it's really difficult to change them. Um, I never pursued like, you know, reaching out to someone and saying, change it because it didn't really seem like a big deal, but to people who were wild firefighters to work on the front line of flames, it was a really big deal for them. Um, for me, I thought it was pretty clear. Like I have photos on my social media of the work that I did, um, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but unfortunately it blew up in a, in kind of a crazy way, um, in December of last year. Um, some people were really angry, um, because what ended up happening was the person wrote the article after I did it. He, he reached out about, he's like, I'm going to write this article mm. about you. Um, and I'm like, let me chat with you about this. And they're like, it's going out regardless, any comments. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, 
So that night I uploaded like a, I was like, I'm going to do like a purge video and I purge, I, I just purged like anything, any person I've ever cheated on, um, anything that I've done that I really think, um, may not reflect the values and morals that I have now. Um, and I put out this video and then the, the journalist was really upset because I scooped their story. Good. So they, <laughs> so they released the article anyway with a bunch of speculative things in it that just are not true. Like if they lied about this, what else, you know, that kind of stuff. So um, anyway, there was a huge burn bust, but fortunately JK Rowling happened to say something turfish immediately after that. And Donald Trump went to war with North Korea, like was like, uh, went to war with like, tried to go to war with, um, the Middle East. And, you know, like, I think Soleimani was murdered at that time. And then the fires in Australia happened. So like, and then we had a pandemic. So like, basically the, I'm not saying it's good that those things happen. No, I it's right. I'm being, I don't know if people will be able to see my face, but I'm joking. Um, But essentially when that happened, bigger news happened and it really buried it. Um, This past year, I really had to sit back and and be like, that purge video was the right thing to do. No one can ever blackmail me or hold anything over my head. I want to talk about mental health in our community. We need it because we are so toxic toxic sometimes because of our trauma and we lie to ourselves that we have the right to do the things that we do because we are traumatized or because we are hurt individuals and that whole entire hurt people hurt people thing is a real thing um i think that uh it's like that that urge in december opened up an amazing year i've traveled the world um you know before (laughs) before COVID was like a thing. I, I got to, I've always traveled the world and done, um, you know, work, but this year I got to do some incredible work, um, and see some incredible places and meet with people who have amazing lives and, um, dedicate my time back to the community and spend a lot of time listening and listening and listening and listening and listening and fighting for other people and not for myself for a moment. And technically sometimes when you fight for other people, you are inadvertently fighting for yourself. Um, because those rights can be tied together. And um, I'm coming out to the one-year anniversary of that Purge video. And uh, literally, I think it's like next week is like the one-year anniversary. And um, I feel really fucking good. I feel really good. I feel I'm booking more work than I've ever booked in my life. I'm able to do more. Before I was lost, I didn't know what to do, where to do it. I was so wrapped up in trauma and and stuff. I didn't know what to do. But now I have clear projects outlined, clear advocacy work, a very clear mission. And um, I feel like I'm more successful than than I've ever been. And also, most importantly, I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid of my past catching up to me. I'm not afraid of my trauma. I'm not afraid to speak about depression or mental health. I'm not like, I'm in a complete free fall with the world. And it's absolutely phenomenal. I couldn't have asked for like a better gift. And I'm so grateful that the universe didn't like drop kick me and punt me into the sun. It was like, you're going to have a timeout. You're going to come back and you're, and if you learned your lesson, you're going to do better work than you've ever done. And I think that's exactly what's happening. So there's about a million questions I have. So, <laughs> so I think it's so interesting. The thing about um, the, the lying bit, because I've had sort of similar, but a lot smaller, obviously, situations where something you've said is taken completely out of context or is sort of like a very innocent misunderstanding, such as not correcting semantics. And there's something that is so void of 
empathy and space and patience and trust. I think sometimes you go, well, it's like people, it's almost like people get off on, on thinking they know that some celebrity has been very evil. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Well, it's the Kim Kardashian effect, you know, Kim Kardashian um, is like, they know exactly what they're doing. Um, They make people feel good by saying, okay, I might have these fa- this fancy home and this great lifestyle, but whenever you see me melting down, fighting, having a scrap, you'll realize I may not have all those fancy things, but at least I'm sane, <laughs> you know, at least I'm good. And, and um, I think sometimes when people like, for instance, Ellen DeGeneres is a great example, they do a lot of good work. And so um, when you catch somebody doing something that's not savory, um, they're like, people are like, well, I might not be as charitable as uh, as Ellen DeGeneres, but you know what I am? Not hanging out with a war crimes person like George <laughs> Bush. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes people feel good about themselves knowing that, you know, they have some kind of of one up on you. Like they might have more money, but they they do have more morality, you know. It's yeah, just and also a like, better person. <laughs> Can we also, where is, where is the media in all of these discussions? You know, we've had, we love to blame all the politicians and yes, they should be blamed. You know, we love to blame the systems and the uh, uh, capitalism. And also, yes, they should be blamed. We should also blame the people who are just horrible people. But so imagine if a story came out that was like, rain has lied about, has used the wrong word for firefighter and then people's reactions I were that. i didn't use that word by the way oh no i, I i'm i'm sure you didn't i know imagine if people read that article and then their reaction was why is this journalist writing this article you know why is this newspaper i already know why i already know why like it was a completely malicious thing there was a person who i outed for having um Basically, they had sex with a minor and they are one of the faces of the Me Too movement. Um, and uh, they had sex with a minor. They admitted it to me. I was like, they were asking for advice as to like how to go to the media. I was like, um, I, um, you know, I just uh, I basically went back and forth. And um, like, <laughs> essentially, their choice was to go to the media and instead of I, I told them that they should probably if since this is true their best action is either to reflect the mo- the values that they have been demanding in the me too movement or to stay silent um and and they did the worst possible thing they could have done um which is they went to the media and called the kid a liar and like was like this kid should never work again and like they're a horrible person and everything like that so um, this kid was on, went on to suicide watch. Their social media was turned off, all that stuff, because the, the whole world was like, look at this opportunistic little prick. And yet I knew that this kid had mm. was not lying about the fact that they'd had a sexual engagement with somebody who was a leader of the Me Too movement. So I did the most inappropriate thing. I've talked about this before. I did like the, like, I, I, at the time it made sense. I was very broke and I didn't have any money. And I knew that um, I was dealing with, a crime that happened in California. I lived in New York city and this other person lived in Italy. And I knew that there was a lot of different laws regarding revealing private text messages and stuff like that. And I knew I might get sued. I tried to give them to the police. The police were like, because the victim has not opened a case, 
um, and they are now an adult, like we can't take evidence for a case that doesn't, isn't open yet. But when a case is open, you can submit evidence. And I'm like, okay. So like I have all the messages, I have everything from this. I know this is crazy. So I needed to get the messages to him, but he didn't have social media. Everything was turned off. I didn't know where he lived. And I knew with him on suicide watch, it was a matter of time. I talked to my partner at the time, who's now my ex, but my partner at the time, who was like a, um, another big Me Too movement leader. And um, she said she just didn't want to be involved. Um, and I said, okay, because it was her best friend that came out to me about this. So she's like, that's my friend. Like, I don't want to be involved. And I said, okay. So I did like the, um, I did the one, <laughs> I, I talked to some of my close friends. Okay. Um, I, if I could undo it, I would, but I basically talked to some of my close friends and we agreed that it needed to get out into the press. People needed to see this is the only way to get, get to this kid. So I, I couldn't, I didn't want to be the one who leaked them. Cause I was, I didn't want to have my name attached to it. Cause I didn't want the credit or anything. I just wanted the kid to know. So I gave them to um, a publicist, a former publicist of mine, who th- said, I will take care of this for you. Um, and the advice was I should make some money to protect myself legally just in case. So I gave the, I gave the text messages to um, my publicist, who then sold them to, a dist- to another agent who does, who does like those deals. Um, they sold it to the highest bidder which was TMZ. I did not take these texts to TMZ. I wasn't even in control of the process. It just happened. I, if I had known they were going to go to TMZ, I would never have done this. I should have taken them to the New York Times. I should have given them away for free. At the time, everyone was like, you need to protect yourself legally. You need to cover your ass because these women, both my partner at the time and this other woman are millionaires and they will fuck you up for life. You will never work again. So I was scared and I, you know, it's not an excuse. I'm just telling you the context as, as this thing is the context. So then, um, of course, uh, the text get out. It gives this kid legs to stand on. This kid is suddenly has a case like that. Like it, it changes the whole game. Um, I get out of the 10,000. Um, so basically, I give them to my agent who gave them to another agent. And then the money was deposited into my best friend's account because I didn't want to pay for the trial. I was very meticulous about this. I had really close friends. We all drank Chardonnay and we talked about how to how to do this. So it was responsible. By the time I got, uh, the texts were sold for like 10,000. By the time I got money, it was like, I think it was like 5,000, 6,000, somewhere around there. Um, I spent about um, 1,500 to 2,000 to pay my rent because I wasn't able to work for the next um, month and a half, two months because it was such a scandal internationally. Like people did not, they were like, they were just like, when people found out it was me, which happened pretty much immediately, unfortunately. Um, uh, like after a few articles came out that sleuths went and did their thing. Um, when the thing came out, like it was, it was like, um, people are like, rain, what you did was so important and so brave. But at the same time, we don't want to be affiliated with this. It's, it's too political for you to do ads for, um, any brands really, <laughs> you know, this is too much of a hot button thing. Um, so I used some of the money to pay my rent. I donated the rest of the money when I realized I didn't need a lawyer. Um, and I donated to ironically an organization called rain, which is a domestic violence and abuse, um, prevention organization that helps people escape bad situations very much in alignment with the me too movement. Um, and, uh, anyway, that, 
bringing it back into a circle, um, it turned this person um, that I had outed into a mortal enemy for life. Like they are like, if they could murder me, they would. They started like posting stuff on Instagram to their hundreds of thousands of followers being like, it's a good day for rain to die. Like die motherfucker, die. And I'm like, like the entire year I'm like, I hope I don't book any jobs in Italy. But then of course that was the year that I'm like, okay, I guess, you know, I did book like two things in Milan. It was really funny. And I went there and I was like, um, anyway, this journalist was a really good friend of that. Of course. And, um, they, uh, like talked like you could go on their social media profile i'm not like a conspiracy theorist like it's on there yeah they chat with uh they chatted with her they chat back and forth they laughed about like in public discussion under pictures that she's had you know they laughed about like um things together and then this journalist wrote that article um and i thought i think they thought that it was going to go really viral because it involved two big celebrities but um it got really squished by a lot of other things and also a lot of people reached out and because i did a confess i just did a purge it wasn't a confessional video i just did a purge video because i did a purge video it took away a lot of the momentum but unfortunately yeah it was it was it was tough it was malicious it was intentional um and at the same time I, it needed to happen. I can't, I'm, I'm upset that it happened and I'm upset about the way that it happened. Um, but I have to say like, I'm glad it did. I really needed to have that come to Jesus, like Saturn return moment where I was pushed to sit down with my audience and say, Hey, look, I don't have a degree. Like um, I was a wildfire prevention officer, which meant I cut down trees. And the only fire I handled really was like controlled burns. It was hard work. It was hard work, but it wasn't what maybe you thought it was. And here's, um, here's whatever, like the purge, the purge video was probably the best thing that could have happened in my life. Super humbling, really difficult for the rest of my life. I will always have to own it and be okay with people being like, you fucking lied. And I'd have to say, yes, I did. If you want to get special behind-the-scenes recordings, head to Patreon now and sign up. You get discount codes and my two stand-up shows for free. You also get extra bits of conversation that I've had with the guests. Also, join in order to support the podcast and help contribute to the transcripts, the editing, the equipment, the software, the domains, all the hours that go into this, and to keep it ad-free. Go to mopod.com forward slash donate. That's M-O-H-P-O-D dot com forward slash donate. If you liked this episode and felt like it gave you something, like, share, retweet, give it a five-star review on iTunes, tell a friend, and make sure you go and say a big thank you to the guest, Rain Dove, for being part of this podcast. A special thanks to the following Patreon heroes. Amy Melody, Anastasia, 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 Graf, you're new. Welcome, Anastasia. Andrea Kaparag and Andy Walker, Anne-Marie Hepburn, Barry Norton, Beth Payton, Cherry Winter, Claire Fletcher, Daniel Reifersheed, Danielle Johnson, Deborah Cody say, Dieter Bonnberg Jensen, Emma Chan, Fenella Dunn, Privacy of Sorrows, Aurora Teratops, Galway Cass, Georgia, Harold Van Dyke, Harry Minard, 
Helen Jarena, Isabel Johnston, Joe C., Catherine Williams, Katie Hatfield, Katrina Pedersen, Kirsten E., Kirsten Davidson, Lindsay Bushniak, M. Dash, Maeve Houlihan, Maury Fraser, Megan Roberts, Paul Swaddle, Pierre Fenne, Rachel Furley, Ragdoll, Rianne Rivers, Robert Knowles, Robin Cabell, Ruth Flory, Samantha Kitson, Sarah Allen, Sarah Plumer, Sheena Machette Cole, Simon James, Victoria Greer, Victoria Layton, and Zoe Stephenson. If you want your name shouted out at the end of the episode and mispronounced, go join the Patreon and check out how. Again, that's mopod.com forward slash donate. I want to say a massive thank you. Thank you so much to Rain Duff for doing this conversation. Thank you to Dave Pickering for editing this episode, Harriet Brain for writing and recording the jingle, and to Justine McNichol for the logo. Speak to you next Wednesday with part two. Bye! Oh.